0: Shelly Lindgren on the show of A16 in San Francisco, as well as SPQR and A16 Rockridge in Oakland. Hello, how are you? I'm
1: doing great. Thanks for having me here.
0: Nice to see you.
1: It's great to be here.
0: So in the '90s, you started working at Flirtory Re Restaurant.
1: Yes, in the early '90s, um, I worked there for almost seven years.
0: What was that like? You were with Maurice Rojas.
1: Yes, he's one of my. He passed away a couple of years ago, and Uber Keller, who um, they they just closed the doors in the end of June. This past year, two thousand fourteen, it was about a forty year run. It's pretty good, uh, you know, restaurant lifespan. So it was, um, they you know. I felt like I was part of the, a family. I was at the whole time I was at USF. Um, I would work there five nights a week, and I was a captain, and I got to you know do formal wine service. And basically, um, my background mainly is French wine. Which, if you met me today and knew how passionate I am about Italian wine, and been focused for the past. Decade and a half or so, you would not know this about me, but yeah, it all starts in France, especially in American sommelier standards.
0: It was kind of a classical French mm-hmm. canon that you were a part of and you learned the service standards of.
1: Yes. And I worked for Roland Passo for a few years before that, who still has La Folie Restaurant and this an amazing chef. And, and also Julian Serrano, who I worked with him in San Francisco before he moved to Las Vegas and opened Picasso.
0: Really talented guy, I think.
1: I was so lucky to have those three mentors, you know, and then I ended up going to cooking school and, you know, always love the inter- integrating the food and the wine, you know, because I would say if I picked one thing, like service is something that I'm absolutely crazy about and it's part of my DNA. It's, I think so. It's, you know, I'm, for, um, I'm the fourth of five kids and no one else in our family's in the restaurant business, but I just always really loved it. Love people. And, um, You know, nurturing and feeding. It's all about food and wine. So I think um, I just embrace the Italian lifestyle naturally.
0: I mean, of all the people I've met in the service industry, I think you're one of the most naturally welcoming. Really? Wow. Easily, from my perspective.
1: Well, you you make it easy, (laughs) Levy.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) But why restaurants, though? I mean, Mm -hmm. what was going on? You...
1: Well, it was funny. I was talking to my brother the other day, and he was saying, Shelly, I remember you bought like all my clothes in high school. And it's, you know, we grew up in West Marin and we had a really nice upbringing and things. But we just, um, my mom, I was it was a single mom family and um, and she had a lot going on. So a lot of, we were just very independent from a young age. And so I started working really young and love that. I love to work and I uh, feel really fortunate that even though, I was working and, and, you know, earning what, if you look back now, it's like, it wasn't that much of the, okay, babysitting, (laughs) restaurants, dishwashing, hostessing, serving. And now, you know, I think in all your decisions in life, whatever you're doing, it all comes together at one point. And you can't really just jump to the head of the line. You have to really pay your dues. And I started young. So, I was pretty young when we, when we opened, um, A 16, I'd already been working in restaurants for a long time. And my husband had, um, two bars at that time and he designed and built the restaurants and without this group of community, you know, supporting that had known me, you know, growing up in restaurants and with the husband and the great business partners, we, I don't, it'd be really hard to have opened that today. I couldn't just have gone and done it on my own. So it was really a group effort.
0: So that restaurant opened in 99, but in between Fleur de Lis and that opening, you were at Bacar.
1: I was at Bacar. Well, actually, well, well A16 opened in 2004, but um, Rome 15 Romolo, Greg's First Bar opened in 1998 at Rosewood in 2000. Um, Bacar, I was there after cooking school. I went to cooking school in 2000, 2001, and I was at Bacar as a sommelier and then opened A16.
0: What was it like working with Debbie Zacharias?
1: Oh, she's larger than life and amazing. And it was hilarious because I had Italian wine was my thing then too. And it was really a a wonderful Austrian list and Burgundy and California, of course, and uh, Champagne. We had some really great producers that I got to know intimately from working with that list, but it was like a three-story wine wall. And, um, my little Italian corner was up in the men's bathroom on the third floor. So whenever I had to go get a bottle, I'd have to wait. If there was a line and I had to go open the door to the wine wall in the men's bathroom, get my wine and run down. And it was so much fun. I was so young, quick back then. I was like, I love that because I had sold the bottle of Barolo or Brunello or something. So
0: What was the first introduction to Italian wine coming from some French background?
1: I Well, studying with the quartermaster sommeliers for a long time. In fact, um, I was talking about this at the Women in Wine Symposium. It's a little bit today where I there wasn't a lot of sommeliers back when I was started studying. So just to, for the first level, I remember studying for about four years, thinking, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can, I'm can. really going to practice. And I, I was really diligent about studying. And then... Um, I took my exam and I remember sitting in New Bear's office and saying, I just want to let you know, I had to put Fleur Elise down. It's where I work. and I'm taking the Somme exam this weekend. And it hadn't really been done at Fleur Elise at that time. And so um, when I passed, I had mainly a French coworkers. And not only, so I was like one of the couple women that worked there and had taken the Somme exam. And they were, it just had just, it was a game changer, you know, because. I had uh, met a lot of friends in our community that were starting to take the exams. And I learned through those studies that, whoa, Italy has tons of grapes and I'm a native California. So Italy has tons of grapes and there's all these beautiful regions and great history. And I was, as my major. I love literature and I love history. And that's part of the romance with the wine and talking about it with tables. And I just became really fascinated with places like Tarassi has a, wine or Sardinia the people of Sardinia then how far back they go to I think um I'm gonna say like Paleolithic times and you know just so interesting um has a study of the progress of grapes and you know moving west and so that was the first place I went to in Italy was Sardinia
0: what was that trip like
1: it was a it was a honeymoon and And we started in Paris because I was working at Fleur Lise at the time. We started in Paris. We rented a car, went to Alsace where Uber is from, went to his family's patisserie. Uber's hotel. were We're down in Cannes where he used to work. And we stayed with them one night. And I told, I told them, Hey, we're going to uh, Italy tomorrow. You know, we'd already been gone for like two weeks and he had never been to Italy at that moment, but literally we're on the Riviera. The Riviera extends over to Italy and was about an hour away. And, um, We just went all the way down to Livorno, put a car on a ferry to Sardinia and woke up and it was off season. So it was pretty, pretty empty compared to summers where it's packed and quite the, quite the spot. If you can get a plane over from mainland Italy, it's beaches and, you know, beautiful food and cheeses and, and great wines. And, you know, the wines were already great and they're, they're even better now than they were back then. So.
0: I find it's kind of an isolated place that has a lot of feel of a different culture. Like it feels totally different than Rome.
1: Oh, completely. It's it's like this kind of oblong island, and it is really far away. Feel it's out in the middle of. You feel like you're um on the west the west um, coast wines of Sardinia, places like um, a Contini near Cabras, where they have that great Batarga and Alguero, that Spanish colonial town, and there's all these special like horse training places but you feel like it extends right to the Atlantic you really feel your way out there and then to the north you have the cork trees and it's completely different and the southeast is is much warmer and you really feel it in the wines too so
0: when did you decide you know what I think I'd like to open my own restaurant
1: actually I got back from that trip and I felt once I went to Italy it was like I get it click Okay, things are so sim they're simple but thought out. And why is everything so delicious and wonderful? And we don't have that translation where we live when we have the ingredients. And so it went I was kind of going between a breakfast place or pizza and wine. And I didn't really know what Neapolitan pizza was until I met my business partner. And um and so we were kind of playing with a couple ideas and we looked at it, Greg and I looked at a few spaces and I met my business partner and I said, we're putting a pizza place and it's going to be, she, she's like, there's really no pizza of Naples here. And so next thing you know, we're going to Naples and <laughs> eating pizza and meeting sommeliers and going to wineries and found that they were delicious and just kept doing research. And, at, you know, at first our list at A16 was going to be all Italian And I was really trying to get California Italian. And now there's some really great producers doing interesting things, but it was really, really tough to to really give that justice because you have one Sangiovese tasting like it does in Italy, and then you had another Sangiovese. that's this valiant effort, not quite there, but now you can really, there's a few people doing it, but doing really nice wines. But so it was really after that first trip coming back and and then realizing these wines go with our food. There, there's lots of them. You have to go out and find them, but they're practically giving them away to me when we opened. And our list was ridiculously inexpensive because something that's probably, you know, four or five times the price now, it was almost, it was maybe an older vintage or just, you know, it wasn't in the necessarily right state. But there's a couple of producers like Clelia Romano. Without her, Fiano, it would have been hard to really say, I can hang my hat. We can focus on the South. And there was, you know, a lot of families like Master Bertadino, Le Brandi, or Alnardo Caprai from Umbria, Planeta's, like uh, wineries like that, that really, you know, even 10 years ago without them, there wouldn't be as much recognition. And now it's completely ballooned into the microcosms of Etna and, you know, these different climates and and styles of making wine and completely beautiful and age-worthy and you wouldn't have thought that would happen 10 years ago.
0: So really a different world even a decade ago for Italian wine in this country where most of the focus was either on Tuscany or, or further north and you were looking a little bit further south and there weren't a lot of sommiers working with that wine, if any. And it was a matter of not having a lot of reference books and sussing out through tasting who the superstars were that you could really base the list on
1: exactly. It was just really trying to figure it out on my on my own, and not really knowing if it had been done at other places. It was just kind of an exciting thing, and I was the you know there opening and closing the restaurant <laughs> for the first couple of years, which is probably the sustainable amount of time that you could really um, say I'm gonna you know be there because we're open lunch and dinner for the first first six nights six days when we first opened and then you know as we got a little bit smarter we have like the appropriate managers and and sommeliers and we kind of organically grew in that way but yeah picking out the wines was something that I was even though the grape might not sound familiar at first I really thought they were delicious and I had this mission I was going to talk to every table and and make sure that they're enjoying their wines and you know to try them. And then eventually, the, not only the the service team, but our customers were familiar enough with them. And it was just something that we did and became our own little culture that we have.
0: And what drew you to the marina to open A16 originally?
1: We looked we looked in the places like the Excelsior. We looked in the Hayes Valley. We looked basically places that had wood burning ovens because putting in your own wood burning oven is not really an easy feat. So that was the thing. Without those ovens, we probably wouldn't have been there and it ended up being a great location for us. It wasn't a lot happening on the street at that time, and we got in it was right so the it was two thousand and four, and the restaurant before us had opened shortly after 9-11. and it just it was not a great time in the economy, so we got in it was things weren't on a high note. we were really like things were pretty down. but um, you know, we really wanted to do it so
0: and what's kind of neat about that space is it goes far back in lengthways, And at the back of it, it opens up in terms of to the sky. So what you see when you walk in is that as you go further in, it gets lighter. Yeah. Which kind of draws you into the restaurant.
1: Yeah. You th- a lot of people think that they it's smaller. And it's not a huge by any means, but it's just as long and narrow and feels a little bit more of a city feel in that way, I guess. Because it is, well, you're in a city, but it's not like a spacious restaurant where I mean, Rockridge has a little bit more space in in general about the same amount of seats, but just a different layout.
0: Did it take some translation to explain to people what Neapolitan pizza was at that time?
1: Yes. I think that we spent a lot of time. We still spend a lot of time going over our focus for how pizza is a culture in Naples and pizza is you know, to get it right, it should have that bend and have that, you could you could taste the freshness in the dough and just has to, it cooks really at a high heat and uh, really fast. And sometimes you just get a marinara margarita and that's it. But there's a lot of other types of pizzas you can get there too. You know, the quattro stagione is a classic in Naples or different like stuffed ones. And we've been having a lot of fun. I mean, in Naples, you can they have a big hot dog thing because of the since World War II, it was a big uh, outpost for American GIs, and there. Is, so there's like pizzas that have hot dogs in the crust, <laughs> but we don't do that one. But but you know, it's we've had we take our pizza. Our pizzas, it's not as easy as it seems. I, the culture in uh, Naples is to do it right. It's just really a soulful kind of
0: food. And have you seen an evolution in the Marina in terms of what's happened there in the last decade or so?
1: Well, I think the understanding of pizza in general from what we grew up with and, you know, everybody has their own style they like. And so like if you're from, if you like a Roman style or Tuscan style, it's uh, the heat of the ovens much less. So you get a crackery, thinner dough and that's also delicious. It's just a style. And then, you know, for us, we're so integrated in the Neapolitan style. So we were looking for something that's closer to non or, you know, of course it came translated from the Greek all times where pita, pizza is what they think it evolved from. And then, you know, I, so I appreciate all types of pizza, but I just, if we're going to say we're doing one type, we want to try to do it the best we can.
0: You kind of built the rest of the restaurant around the idea of pizza. And yeah. We'll go with that.
1: Exactly. But of course we, 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 there wasn't also burrata was something kind of new at the market about 10 years ago. And, we tasted tons of burrata and we went with a new local producer named Joya and we still use them. But now there's some buffalo being raised in Sonoma County and we're buying the milk from them and making gelatos and things. So we're stretching our, some, we're playing around with it.
0: In a lot of ways, it feels like it's gotten easier in terms of raw ingredients, whether it be food or wine.
1: Yeah, there's so much more and a lot more people... Have in both areas have started import. They're you know really searching out to find that Chiro or wonderful Galliopo. They're really working hard on this, and it's you know there's some regions that are easier than others. But but now you have some importers that have multiple Etna Rosos, great producers. And, and before I can remember counting or having conversations with someone like Salvafoti or people where you're like there was three at Neroso's, and now there's 50. So it's changed dramatically.
0: Do you think that you had a different perspective going in than a lot of sommeliers would have because you had gone to cooking school a little earlier?
1: You know, I um, just wanted to do the best of my ability. And so I I was really just just into it and I was okay focusing on something that was not the norm in our area, because I was there, I was there, and
0: you had been to Italy.
1: I'd been to Italy, and I, I loved our team and everybody. It just it just goes together. So that's sort of the energy in our place. It's, it's we have forty wines by the glass and half bottle carafe and tastes, and we have um, a variety of you know from high acid, dry, crisp whites to things that age on the lees for nine years or something. You, you know, um, there's like all these intricate small producers and we get to taste them and know them and learn about them. And so for us, it's a very rich lifestyle.
0: I mean, I think one of the things that's really stands out about Italy is the diversity of what's available.
1: But some wineries, I mean, you look at their stories and I mean, Italy unified in 1861 has a country and they've been making, you know, their families have been making wine much longer. So, there's some like Sicily compared to Alto Adige or Friuli seems drastically different. But if you look at people like uh, Giuseppe Pinti to Gravner and things that they've taken from each other and learn, I don't think it's unsimilar from how we learn from each other in our business or restaurants or gain some knowledge and understandings has a, a global community of how we can improve or things that might trigger that thought of, hey, my, our ancestors used to make wine like this. Why don't I try Amphora or things like that? And I recently went to, on a trip to Santorini because we're working on a new Southern Italian wine book. I look at the A16 book and there's so much that I want to add to it. And so we're, we're starting this process and we're not rushing into it. Kate and I, we worked on A16 and SBQR books. And now we're just focusing on this, just spending some time on regions and having a good time tasting through like the white wines of Sicily, completely not what you would ex- have expected a, a decade ago. It's just Sicily is still two thirds white wine, but you think of it as red wine more. Of course, if you looked at Etna alone, that's 90% red, but you know, it's, it's really, it's like a living history basically. So I feel like right now it's a super exciting moment.
0: What was it like writing that original book, A16 food plus wine?
1: Um, I was pregnant <laughs> and I was traveling to Italy with Kate. I had this small little window with my first son. And I remember showing up there and I I guess it's not what you do when Italian women are pregnant and um and the people were just so worried. They kept calling me and trying to feed me, and I think my belly grew about an inch a day because I was uh well, um we had a our friend Bruno Di Concellis who lives in Salerno and he's a wonderful person and winemaker and done a lot for the southern part of Campania in terms of wine. But uh, he could not believe that I was, we were renting a car. And so he took a train up just to meet us at the rental car place because he did not want us to drive out of Naples, you know. And so we just, we drove, we went to Isk- Naples, Ischia, Amalfi, drove down to Calabria, Basilicata, Puglia, and then Avellino, Tarasi in about 13 days and kept visiting wineries and wineries. And just because we had to go there and get that information, and you probably know what I'm talking about. It's like, well, I haven't been to this place. And even if I even stop in this town and get an espresso, I've been there, you know, or I stop and taste this wine because it'll take a lifetime to actually spend as much time as you really want to on, you know, unearthing facts and, and learning. But, you know, like this book from Ian Gatta, The Native Grapes of Italy, brilliant amazing and sometimes I read what he's re- what he's put in there and I go he, not only does he he gets it and wrote about it but I'm not sure that's fact that you could fact check that you know someone told you that and and I am so glad you put this your feelings on this grave down because that is that's Italy you just have to embrace the chaos and
0: what was it that made you decide to open SPQR? What was the the genesis of that?
1: We were in the we were in the process of building a, a restaurant. We ended up not opening called Urbino. It was going to be a Margherita restaurant in Dogpatch area, and um, it was already in construction, and we had raised the capital for it and everything. And it was right before two thousand eight, and we ended up backing out because our partners were the developers of the project and they end up going bankrupt unfortunately and then then there was 2008 and we just thought we we could have opened but we conservatively didn't but we were partially staffed for that so we ended up finding a small spot on Fillmore Street and thinking this seems really like Rome because it's so small and you know let's do something roman and we called it SBQR. And at first when we opened, it was flat priced. It was fried, people still come for fried Brussels sprouts. We don't have because Matthew is now it's evolved into a Michelin Star restaurant and he's had a really exciting year. And
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you. I mean, I we uh he's a creative chef and just doing his thing, but he's now farming a lot of ingredients in Napa and and then when he came on board, I we changed the wine list drastically because we were we were serving more things like truffles and different ingre- you know, different types of luxury ingredients, smoked flour and the fettuccine and you know, things like that. So I said, Well, that's beautiful and wonderful. I'm going to we need the wine to complement that. So then we really upped the ante there too. And we have a lot of fun with that. It was fun before, but now it's even evolved into something more beautiful. We could have expected so
0: what did you find amongst that set of wines that maybe you hadn't been finding at A16
1: so we have our fictitious boundary at A16 because I mean of course I love the wines of Tuscany and in the north but I was so sure that they would overshadow the wines of southern Italy because it was less familiar and made the decision to not add them to the wine list and
0: you felt that people would just order those and not the ones that you wanted them to just give a shot to.
1: Exactly. And also, when you're opening and we sort of had a shoestring budget and if you want to put the greatest hits of Barolos and things, it's going to eat up your inventory really fast. So I had to be creative and our list basically have come out of being creative and you can always build. You, like, know, you just got to get opened. Yep. We've built a lot since we opened, but...
0: Kind of like the cuisine of cucina povera, like the yeah, the exactly. poverty cuisine exactly. of Italy, in a way. Just exactly. Being creative with what you have.
1: Right, and you know, obviously, like there's things like I always joke around where we've ad- been able to add if some really nice bottles, and uh, and then there's that point of like you can't sell it if you don't have it, you know. Right. So that's a good. Well, when point, I go into a
0: sixteen now. Like I've never been yeah. to QR, but when I go into A sixteen and a the marina, yeah. mean, there's a lot of rich guys in there. I would oh, think really? <laughs> when I look around, I'm like that guy seems like he's wealthy to me. See, like you know, I just know like that,
1: I just know that with, I usually don't know what people do, or sometimes I don't even know their name, but I know what they drink. I was like hey, Falangina, you know, or sometimes I know that. I mean, I try to know their name, but but I has we've opened restaurants and there's you now children in schools and things like that. It, Blurs aligns a lot with names, and I don't want to get it wrong, so I'm constantly reintroducing myself to people that I've met a million times, and
0: I've totally freaked people out by being like, "Yeah, 95 Terradora de Paulo, remember?" And they're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> they like to, because that's what I remember about that's them the, is what they ordered a that's long where, time ago. That's and what happens
1: they, <laughs> in the service industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and then at SPQR is the blast because we serve, Aldo, like for instance, you would think it's, this is kind of funny because you would think that we would serve a ton of Chianti, a ton of Barolo and Barbaresco and we have them on the list, but we're very, very small restaurant. And what's happened is the same fun we're having with these small DOCs and what's happening in places like La Marque, like the Cream and More d'Alba or, you know, Vernaccia Nera or something is kind of carried over to SBQR. So we serve lots of wine from Val d'Osta. We have Valtellina. We represent the Alta Piemonte just as much as Barolo. And even though there's a higher concentration of producers in the Barolos and Barresco areas and Liguria. So we we have representation for grapes that kind of in a similar style of A16 where they might be lesser known, but they're delicious. They go with our food and they're, not as expensive, and so you could really have a lot of fun playing with them, and it won't cost you an arm and a leg if you want to buy a special wine. Which sometimes, you know, where if if there's things I probably spend money more on is food and wine than than anything. And you know, like I was here in New York, I was at a restaurant and saw a 2001 Chinon last night, and was so excited to taste it. It was delicious. So, you know, I'm. Try to find gems like that to put on too, but you know, we have like our team working has no problem talking about Pelaverga, Timoroso, Frie Blanc, Friulano, and it's easy as much as they do about Suave or Amarone. And so hopefully that's the direction that Italian wine is becoming, where it's not just everybody has the same Pinot Grigio, you know, and Pinot Grigio is a perfectly lovely grape, and there's wonderful producers out there. But it just became this, like, next step up from bottled water. You could just drink it, and it's, it's just, you know, just a, a beverage. Just, you know, like you're, not, you're not really getting that complexity and minerality out of it because producers have mass-produced it. And so, you know, those have a, a great place, too, because you should have your everyday wines, and that's perfect for a retail market. But when you're really putting it with food and having fun, there's, there's a lot more options at the same price, really.
0: So, you're still looking for individual wines, not big brand wines, but you're looking at a different part of the Smart Italian map. Producer, yeah.
1: There's a lot, there's just a lot of wine in Italy. And I liked, I, I actually think that a lot of times I feel, and I take the importer or distributor out of it, and I feel very like connected to the winemaker and representing them. And no matter what, if like they're making a great wine, Whoever's selling it, I'm gonna buy that wine. And
0: you're you know, saying you don't like most of the importers you work with. Is no, that what you're
1: no, I I'm like totally kidding.
0: totally kidding.
1: Let me. No, I'll still no, buy no, it no. from that jerk. I'll, I'll, uh, geez, <laughs> well, or not. You know, <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. So, no, we um I try to be fair in that way because there's a lot of wines that we're looking for that people aren't bringing to us. We have to go tell them we want this wine and we should be an easy market for people selling them. But it doesn't mean that just because you have a Fiano that, I mean, we have our specific Fianos that if you've never had a Fiano Devolino, we want you to come in and have this quality of Fiano Devolino. And we're pretty specific about it because we, we really care about the grape and see the future in it. And you know, that list keeps growing because the quality of Fianos. But we're not just going to pour something just because as an afterthought, you know, and I think a lot of restaurants should think of the wine part of their business has a business because we're about 40, over 40% on wine sales. And that is just a fun part of what we do. So in that way, I feel like we're balanced. And sometimes it cannot be wine programs are thought of as like, just wine, like, I just want this but why not be a little more discerning when it's such a consumer market?
0: I think that's an amazing idea of building the size of your list based on the quality of what is available in the market in terms of the wines from the place.
1: Yeah. You know, you want just a filler wine because who's going to drink it? You know, I mean, I remember who's somebody I respect very much, but before wine became such a big thing and they used to say, oh, they like made it seem like the customer didn't know the difference. Oh, just white or red or, you know, and um, and just...
0: And well, the place I actually experienced that the most is really bad Italian restaurants. Whether oh. they be in this <laughs> country or in Italy. You know, that place in Venice that just gives you the carafe of white and red and they never tell you what it is and stuff. Like that kind of place. Yeah.
1: They just went from an experience that could be an amazing introduction to their city and their region and their wines and take a lot of pride with it. But they just look at you like a tourist and then and then they give you something mediocre because they're running a business and then it doesn't look good for the whole city. But you find that right spot and, and you have like you find that place that has the aged Tirlanos and an asparagus menu to go with it. That usually is something difficult to pair with. I had that experience. I just randomly went to a restaurant and they had um like a 12 or 15-year-old white wine because white wines age incredibly well when they're made well. And uh, just like, it was one of those epiphany, like, oh my gosh, moments where um, I'm literally having asparagus tasting menu in this amazing white wine. And it just, you know, then I went to visit the winery and they they purposely age their whites. And so you can have whites from the fifties, the seventies, and they taste so fresh because the acid and, Amazing.
0: What was the lead into writing the SPQR cookbook?
1: So we had the other side of Italy that wasn't in the A sixteen book, and then Matthew um, Ten Speed was awesome. That's our publisher, and they were like,
0: "You work with Aaron?" Were,
1: yes, amazing Aaron, really bright guy, mm-hmm. super wonderful. And he's based on the he was the editor West on Coast. the book actually, so uh, he's based in the West Coast. He's in San Francisco. He had given the go ahead to to do that book and. So we spent, we had a, a pretty long trip in Matthew. We visited wineries, picked out restaurants and did like big caravan. We had like the whole family and Matthew and Kate and co- who's co-author and Greg. And we just kind of, we went for a while and that was a great, a great research trip. And then he came back and it was also wonderful because not only did he get to meet the wineries and taste the wine, but so much inspiration for his menu too. So we did the regional and then later our photographer went and took pictures at these places we had visited. And
0: I think the photography in the books is usually awesome. Thank you. Like that picture of Bruno De Concheris (laughs) on the A16 (laughs) book.
1: When he, when he hopped over the fence that you're not supposed to, and he went by the, you know, the largest Greek ruins on mainland Italy and Pestum, just looking up at the sky. So great.
0: Eventually, you opened A16 Rockridge, which is a little bit more recent, and mm-hmm. that's in the East Bay. And how did that come about?
1: We were looking in the South Bay or East Bay, and we always love the neighborhood of Rockridge. It's such a, f- a great vibe. It's right to North Oakland, so it's pretty close to the Berkeley boundary right there. And there's but some
0: great Italian restaurants there, like Olivetto. is
1: two to three blocks away. And
0: Bay Wolf's. Bay Wolf. Is good. And Zachary's oh. Pizza, which is a, basically what I grew up on.
1: Oh my, that is so funny. I went and I, I picked it up sometimes for the kids, and it's the biggest piece of slice of pizza they've ever seen.
0: Bigger it than my head.
1: It's bigger than your. <laughs> I was like, here's one piece of pizza for four of you to share. It's <laughs> yeah. the best for kids. Yeah. they So that that was kind of fun. But they are used to eating pizza with us too. So, like, but they, but you know, pizzas, you go to birthday parties, you have cheese pizza. Yeah.
0: Did you tell them it's not really pizza? Did you bring it back? And you're like, I just want you to know. <laughs> This stuff thing they call it pizza, <laughs> but it's not really pizza.
1: It's a different type of pizza, but <laughs> it's different cheeses. Different, yeah. They're they're pretty into food and wine for a young age. It's kind of funny. your kids are seems like yeah. it
0: when I see my. I feel like I know your kids because I see my Facebook exactly because they're
1: like artists. They're like, I want to open those bottles for the chippito dinner, and I'm like in a public place. I'm like, sure, go for it. <laughs> Why is that kid opening wine? He's obviously little, but okay.
0: Well, I mean, in between yourself on the restaurant side yeah. and doing a lot of wine and then your husband who's done a lot of work with cocktails and Amaro, whether mm-hmm. it be at bars or consulting. I mean, I bet yeah. those kids have seen a few yeah cool beverages go yeah. across the table. It's
1: like you can see it in them hard, like working on things. It, it's just, it's really funny what they pick up.
0: <laughs> has being a mother affected your approach at work?
1: Definitely have to say yes, but in a positive way, I think it's probably been a really good thing for me to be able to take a step and ask for help, build a management team, think about the future, about opening restaurants and and you can only do that if you have a really solid team of people because one person can't run a restaurant alone and and I knew I always wanted to be a mom. So I told my business partner we would wait we would wait, you know, a couple of years and about three years or so in that
0: you and know, your business started. partner's a female is well. a female. So she maybe no. understands what's
1: that's no, like, she said uh, uh, children aren't in her uh, future, but she is like a aunt to them and adores them. And, you know, for me, restaurants are a family. I, I think of everyone that is, that works with me. It's like a part of my family and I do what I can for their education, for travel. And, and um, you know, they've, obviously the boys come in the, the restaurant and, and they understand that either Greg or, or I are usually working in Sometimes there's a sitter or sometimes there's one of us. Every once in a while there's both of us home, you know. So I think it feels like it has been, you know, a juggle, but they seem healthy and, you know, pretty adjusted.
0: So take me on a little bit of a tour of Italy. Okay, Tell me about some of the beverages you associate with different regions. Umbria.
1: Uh, that was one of my first epiphanies on uh, food and wine because... Perugia, where Bachi, Perugina chocolates, and all that is from. Um, we were at a restaurant there, and there's truffles in Umbria. There's also porcinis, and they're known for their lentils. And anyway, um, I had never tasted, but my first time tasting a sangrentino in Montefalco was at Al Nord de And I I think it was just a regular sangrentino in Montefalco. He has a, another one as well. And uh, the Venti which we know. Um, but... I had ordered Umbrielly pasta with Umbrian truffles. My husband ordered the porcini's, and when his arrived, he basically was like, ah, "Mine looks, mine's gonna be better." Mine was very simple, um, but his looked phenomenal. And uh, but then, pairing wise, the truffles with the Umbrielly pasta and the wine is all you needed. It was so simple, and I just had this moment of, "Oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever had!" Like this. Uh, being here, eating this, drinking this, and and it went fine with my husband's porcini pasta, but with the umbertelli truffles and that, I was just so memorable. i it, it sort of started changing my whole confidence. And wait a minute, this these wines are this is unique to each region. There's something super special to pay attention to here. So, I mean, Montefalco areas. There's only about 25 producers, and it's very small. It's just got us really cool papal state kind of quality to it. And there's all these hilltop towns because it used to flood almost every year down in that area because of the the Alps when the Alps would melt. And and so there's just this, I mean, Jean Piero Bea from Palo Beia is one of my favorite winemakers all time. And a lot of that is his wines, but it's also him as a person and why he makes the wines he does, why he goes down to Spoletino Valley and, knocks on people's doors that have these 120-year-old trees of Trebbiano de Spoletino and says, please don't chop it down for firewood. And let me let me to contract these grapes. And painstakingly, it doesn't make any sense as a business. But the
0: vines go up the trees. They go up
1: the trees and tw- they're 20 feet up and they're old. And he makes a beautiful Trebbiano de Spoletino in a natural way. And, and you go see that once and I, you feel like there's this tall grass and there's these ancient trees and you're like in the gorillas of the mist for um for vines and grapes. You're like, what? I mean it's like Etruscan it's so still, still happening. Things haven't there's parts of Italy where things just are just the way they're just there. And super cool.
0: What about Molise?
1: Molise, Campobasso is the base camp, and that's where my in-laws are from. Uh, they emigrated here from that region and um I forget the exact year, but yeah, my, my mother-in-law's from South Philly, and and so we've gone to visit it, and it's completely underrated. There needs to be more wines from there, and the Gentilia uh, grape, you don't even see it out here, but it's amazing, and there will be a couple of producers that come over, But and there's a couple of wines like Borgo de Colorado and De Mayo Norante, but it's like the place where they have all these mountains and it feels like you're part of like Lord of the Rings or something because these bridges connect all the mountains and you're just going from basically like mountaintop to mountaintop and you just wonder how people really worked this land before there was cars and this is where the church bells are made and where it's like they did a lot of armor for battle and things like that because it's where they forge a lot of metal from.
0: So it really is like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings.
1: It, it is like Lord of the Rings. And there's like lace, there's like these doilies and They
0: try to give you this ring culture. and they're like, it's going to rule <laughs> yeah. them all. And you're like, no, no, I, I don't want the ring.
1: <laughs> I kind of, my ears got real pointy. i started, <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> I wish.
0: What about the Campania?
1: What, you know, it's so funny because you would think, okay, for me, I have this fascination with Ischia. It has a wine training island and the... Ischia Bianco was, so Vernaccia S- de San Gimignano from Tuscany was the first white DOC. And that was the same year, 1963, I believe. In January, 19, and then in March, it was Ischia Bianco. And this is a time where it was really poor in Campania. I mean, this is stories about people wearing like tires for shoes. And, you know, it was after World War II, it was really devastating. Uh, but there were still grapes. And the, I recently was in ischia and i had there's these ancient wineries that are built into the volcano it's very white very white soil and they have like this place where there's a draft that comes into the volcano and they have these rooms set up like in sicily where there's palmentos and in ischia they have this thing where they it's called a pietra torcia so it's like a big wooden screw and they have these like massive lava stones and they screw after you stomped on the grapes with your feet they screw down this rock like push it around and so that it presses the grapes at the very end it's just the most amazing thing and there's a winery called Pietro Torcha from Ischia that's great as well but um I had things recently I was there and and so all these um kind of abandoned wine caves or wine wineries um, that were built into the to the rocks and they go back to like when the Odyssey was being written and they have all these crazy stories and I love that about wine, but uh Biancolella is just an incredible grape. And but I was there and I and I had this something I hadn't had. It was this yellow tomatoes. And they had aged them for a year. They're from last year's harvest. So a year old tomato that they had been uh, hanging in their drafty volcano cellar. And they served it with salumi and things and and I was just like because you know mold's not going to grow there, it, apparently, and um, I just cut into it and ate this year-old tomato, no problem. It's just normal. And they had these great stories, like maybe tomatoes were originally yellow because of the name pomodoro, and you know it's like all these things that you just can learn from being there. That's just so cool.
0: So yeah, pomodoro but, like oro being gold exactly.
1: So because you have the Caserta, the Northern Campania area, and you know Rocamafino with places like Gallardi, Lavoro, and. Grapes like Poligrello, Casavecchia, and, you know, the whole phenomenon of Esprino, Aversia and the high trees. And then, you know, it's not even touching into Tufo with this bright yellow sulfuric volcanic soil that, you know, I, I was going to bring home some in my suitcase after Van but it would have smelled too bad. So I didn't take it. <laughs> Can you imagine? It was like sulfur rock in my... Suitcase um, because it was so cool, and he was.
0: You're like you the know. Madame Curie, like yeah. bringing around the radioactive stones. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: the power. Hey, look power at this! It's
0: on. like kryptonite. It's a
1: don't it, touch. Ow! <laughs> there's just so much. I mean, it's so rural in um, the Urpina area. Tarasi is a gothic town, and you know the little vineyards around the um, Fiano de and Greco Tufo areas are just they're completely forested, and it's cool climate and. I mean, when I was there in May, there was all these pine nut trees and you know, they have they're known for their bees and their tarone and things and it was really cold. Super cold and uh it snows there as well. And so I saw this wind come in like the pine nuts on the you saw this like I thought it was a campfire because so much pollen got thrown into the air. It was just in front of you, there's that much agriculture everywhere. I've never had such allergies as i i didn't even know it's like a later in life thing for me but it was just amazing i've never seen anything like it
0: and what about basilicata
1: basilicata is amazing it's so different it's obviously those biblical movies that are filmed there and
0: um like the gospel according to st matthew that kind of thing
1: right exactly you have the cave dwellers that you know was only not that long ago that they were told you can no longer live in caves it's not you know, it's now a UNESCO site, and those have since, a lot of them turned into wineries. And um, I was recently talking to Cecilia from Grifalco, and she was she and I were talking about this foraging culture that they have in Basilicata because it's so sparsely populated. And um, they have these particular potatoes and things. And so in the dusk time, you could see all these people out in these fields, like literally like foraging their food. It's not like you could drive to, you know, the corner market when you're up in this, kind of rustic volcano and I mean they obviously have food and things but they just really live off the land a lot there it's really cool and paternosters, of course and like gods there I just can't say enough about that family but
0: and what about Calabria
1: Calabria has one of the most potential in being amazing great next wine regions of Italy and I love the story of uh, Chiro Marina and Galeopo It has a grape. It's if I was going to go to Italy and plant something that would probably go there because there's vines that are abandoned. It's not that expensive. They did have a mafia problem that's getting cleaned up. And um, it's really funny because you have that story of like the grape of the Olympians. And when Greece colonized Italy, they called Calabria Enotria and you really feel that Greek presence and there's towns with ancient Greek tablets and, you know, the huge statues and stories of them just taking the fresh run juice and just, just straight to the boat through like a pipe, like terracotta pipes. And, and then there's, you know, it's heavily forested. I think it's a Polino forest that's up between Basilicata and Calabria and they have all these porcinis and, they have, you know, just a very rich culture there. And we see the spices and from all the types of peppers and, and the citrus. I was there on that trip when I was pregnant, and they were had cases of blood oranges for six euro a whole case, you know. And so picked one of those up and just eating those the whole time, driving around Italy, eating blood oranges for nothing. And it's uh, a Caliopo is a grape that it's medium bodied, beautiful, maritime, versatile. There's a winery called Avita that's was imported, and the importer didn't really. I think it was showing that great, sent it back. And now it got picked up again, the same vintage with a different importer. And it's like an amazing Galliopo. And so outside of Le brandy, there's maybe a handful of producers that are doing something incredible, but there's just a lot, a lot that can still happen there. Like It's funny. There's a lot of, I haven't even really spent any time in New Jersey, but there's a lot of like, kind of like new money that went in there. And like, all of a sudden, you'd be like, "Where are we in Italy?" Because this huge McMansion house just like popped up, and there's like you're in this little fishing village. Like, why on earth would you build some like something so gaudy here? You know, and so there's just like um, there's kind of this that kind of strange culture. But then, you know, Calabria has more beaches than ten times the town Riviera, so you feel like you're really isolated unless you're coming over from Sicily and. Taking the um the ferry and driving through. There's like a lot of trucks and things that go through Calabria, but, and there's a lot of Europeans that go and have vacation there, but it's really not that traveled.
0: What about the Manduria area? Manduria, maybe I'm saying it wrong.
1: <laughs> you mean in Puglia? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny being a California native, I went to visit my friend Paolo Cantale, who lives out, I mean, Leche is one of the most beautiful cities. It's just unbelievable. And and I I went to go visit him and thinking that primitivo would be the main grape of the area. But it turns out it's just from this little like primitivo de mandoria and Silice Salento and um, Joy de Cole and some places like that where Primitivo grows, but it's like 90% Negro Maro and Puglia. So I had a wide, you know, a real awakening going, oh Negro Mar, because it's not usually listed on the bottles, some bottles it is, but you really, that's a tough thing with Italian labels is if it's from this area, it's going to be this, usually this grape and more, more producers are putting the grape on the labels, but it's just, it's just their wine. It's their regional wine and that's just what they drink. So Julia is tough because a lot of bulk wine that was made and produced and, and um, there's even some places outside of it in more Northern, but where there was like a train that went straight to Bordeaux, didn't know if you saw like outside of Trani, there was a, you know, it was owned by like some French houses or, you know, just it's been notorious for being blended in with more northern European wines that that couldn't ripen. So there's this bounty there and and the potential Sicily, the southern Italy is just it's, there's so much wine and the more people focusing on quality. Um, there's a producer from Joy de Cole that's Guttarolo and they're doing some exciting new wines. But that area, I think, is special for Primitivo, myself. But Why so? It's um, less extracted. It's more of that black olive fig. Um, You eat a lot of seafood in Puglia, and you have tons of vegetables. So you don't want... And it's hot. So usually, when it's really hot, you don't want that 16% red wine and and unlike Campania in Sicily, is mostly red wine. And so they make beautiful rosatos out of their Negro Maro And But the Gioia de it just seems like a tiny bit cooler climate. And they have really, their primitivos have nice acidity, lower tannins, and just seem really food friendly. And I found some, those to be some of my favorites.
0: And going down to Sicily.
1: Paradise, <laughs> yeah. Sicily. I'm like, oh boy, I um, just can't say enough about Sicily. From the few producers that are outside of Messina and Faro, I think Vittoria and Siracusa, that area is probably one of the most exciting regions outside of Etna on Sicily. And I love, you know, of course, Norella Mascalese, but when you get really good in it's amazing. And I think in that area outside of Pequino and And so, if you're going towards Agrigento, and there's a lot of nerodavla all over the island, but when you get it to that, um, it's like a chocolate-covered cherry, nice depth of fruit, but not too big. And the Sicilians think that I've, I've heard from producers that they it should have like almost like something that could go with sardines because they eat a lot of seafood in in this part of the the island. But yeah, I. I, in the white wines of Sicily, I just been focusing on those a lot in the past month because they used to be kind of on the tropical side and outside of Benanti Pietra Marina, there wasn't as much going on. And uh, now you could find really exciting whites and they, sh- like what the, the Bartolis are doing, the, the grapes of Bibo is super fun. And some people are doing some natural Zubibos and uh, Caracante is exciting and you know, it's just that there's just, you're going to see a lot more wine and the quality and value is also really high.
0: So take me back to Sardinia.
1: Yes. Back to, um, I fell in love with Vermentino. It was one of the first, it, I think that was the reason why we went to Sardinia for the first time because it was just such an eye opening, beautiful wine and story. And going to, the Spanish towns like Alguero and having canulari from that area where it tastes almost as lighter than a Pinot Noir. The reds from the West coast tend to be on the lighter side because they have that exposure to all that cooler climate and the Southeast corner is much richer than Carignana de solsis and um, the Cotonaus from say the Tariga from Argiolas or the Terre Bruno from Santati and those are beautiful wines. And I have a dish that, there's a dish that um, Matthew has at SPQR has a burnt orange sauce and it's a chestnut filled pasta. And it has like a rapini, broccoli rapini and those bitters and sweet things with that wine. It's just like and the earthiness of the chestnut. It's like one of my all-time favorite pairings.
0: So. Shelley Lingren, she's an ambassador for the Southern Italian wines at a 16 <laughs> SPQR and A16 Rockridge. Thank you very much for being here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Shelley Lindgren sharing with you what she likes so much about Italy. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening When did a sixteen Tokyo open up?
1: That opened five years ago, and um, our we've had this great cultural exchange where um our for instance, our pastry chef was there in October, teaching them some of the recipes and and it's just been a really positive experience. So we get to go and they get they also, kind of spend time back and forth and they love their French food too. So, um, and they have this cake time in the afternoon. So kind of like high tea, but they eat these like huge pieces of beautiful cakes. And
0: I so knew I was missing something open, in my life. You're open for dessert that's, that's in the afternoon. It it's cake like time. A, I've always yeah, needed it's cake this.
1: cake time. I know it's like about, you know, posts between lunch and dinner. It's everybody goes out for dessert and tea. I think it's what you do.